0: Right, well, we are looking so forward to celebrating our 50th anniversary and the theme that we're kind of going with and leading up to that day is through it all. And the focus of that is obviously to kind of look at how God has been in this church and working through this church in the midst of all the challenges and the blessings that have come. Um, And so through everything, through the entire journey, we see how God has been involved in our, our church life But at the same time, I think it's important for us to recognize that whatever we're going through in our personal lives, that God is also in the midst of all of that. And whether you've had maybe just some challenges in your personal life or whether you feel like your life has just been filled with blessings and rewards, in the midst of all of that, God has been with you and is with you through it all. And so what we want to do today is we want to look at some of the new beginnings that may be happening in your life, and all of us, at some point or another, are going to have a new beginning, or maybe we've experienced a new beginning. I want to start this morning by reading to you, really quickly, our church history, which is found um, in the book uh, Search for Renewal by Jack Heppner. And uh, he writes this, and so, uh, excuse me for a moment, I'm just going to read a few paragraphs here for us, because I think it's important for us just to kind of have an image of um, uh, what God has all done in the midst of this church. In the Leamington area, the first contact with the Mexican Mennonites came when a child of one of the families living there died. Not knowing where else to turn in their grief, they asked David Friesen of Elmer to officiate at the funeral. As as the result of this contact, the Friesens began conducting informal hymn singing evenings twice a month in that area, which would be in the Leamington area beginning in 1967. The following year, John D. Friesen conducted uh, successful evangelistic meetings there, and the time seemed right to place workers who would begin regular services. Consequently, Jake and Dorothy Heppner were assigned to the area in November 1968. The Heppners had been partially supported by the EMMC in their former ministry with the Western Track Mission, but now were given full support. At first, the Heppner's conducted services in various homes, but when the group grew, they moved to Heppner's Garage for midweek Bible study and to the basement of the, of the UMEI for Sunday services. When the garage was no longer large enough, the Hillman United Church was rented one evening a week. In the years that followed, a number of families moved to, the Leamington, to Leamington from Manitoba to help out with this work. They included our very own Bill and Tina Giesbrick. Dave and Margaret Wolfe, Henry and Susan Epp, and George and Lois Neudorf. Their their services were greatly appreciated in the rapidly growing work. As the size of the group increased, the need for their own building became more apparent. In 1971, Jake Heppner donated half an acre of land and construction began, and that is the location of our old old building right, right, right over there. That winter, a carload of men from Manitoba came to help in the construction so that by January 1972, the walls and rafters were up and the group could begin using the basement for its meetings. Of course they had to do this in the dead of winter. Let's go build a church in the dead of winter. But I think it's fascinating that The thing isn't even done yet, but they're already meeting. That just shows some of the desperation and the need that they had. That summer, when the Heppners returned to service with with the Western Track Mission, Gordon and Mary Brown were called to replace them. And so the work at Leamington was off to a great start. That is our humble beginning. And what an amazing thing, what an amazing story this church has of how God has moved and worked in our midst. We have seen God do amazing things. Throughout the history of this church, and we know that he is not done yet, and he is going to do, continue to do amazing things. Now, how many of you have ever started something new? Okay. Those of you that are not putting your, you know, hands up, you're like, I'm too good for that, I'm not putting my hands up. But here's the thing, every single one of us has at one point or another started something new. And if you're like, well, not me, well, hello, you were born... So I think you started something new unless that's like an old thing for you like every now and then I just, you know, do that but whatever. So all of us have started something new and and there is this kind of an awkward moment sometimes in when we start something new. Sometimes it's really natural, sometimes it just kind of begins and it seems like, you know, nothing really all that hard, but usually there's some kind of awkwardness or, or discomfort maybe even in starting something new. You know, we have things like starting a new school or, or moving to a new country. Then there's the, the whole making new friends. Some of you are maybe far better at this than others, but in those early times of making new friends, it, you know, it can be a little bit awkward trying to figure out what do they like and what do you like and, and how do you have conversations, and then you kind of have your first disagreement and you got to wrestle through all that. Another new thing that I know pretty much all of you in this room have experienced or will experience in your life, and that is when you begin to drive. Remember those days? Remember when you used to check your mirrors, like you actually did that? You know, remember when you held your hands at the right place? I was taught here, now it's here, and 10 years from now it's going to be here, I guess. You know, we're just moving around the steering wheel, I don't know. But remember those days when you would actually focus on doing the speed limit? And you're like, so, you know, I'm going to stay right on that number, like, exactly. And then one day you realize that the world hates you because you do the speed limit. And that it's actually socially acceptable to go a little bit over the speed limit, you know. So for some of you on the way to church every Sunday, it's okay to go a little over. I'm not telling you to break the law. I'm just saying it's socially acceptable. And for those of us that need to get here, huh, come on, you know. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't help if you're going, you know, oh, I'm going to praise the Lord today, five under, you know. Um, just really, really, really rough, you know? Um, the other thing that you should just note is you can, you can always see the people who are passengers to new drivers. Have you ever noticed this? It, it just, just watch now. You'll see it. You can just pick them out like that, you know? Uh, you'll, be, you'll be watching them, and passengers of drivers who have been driving for a long time, they're looking out the window, they're bored to death, you know, and maybe they're on their phone, and they're just like, oh, when are we going to get there? And they're not really paying attention, but oh my goodness, passengers of new drivers, you know, they got 911 dialed on their phone, they're ready to go, and they're just looking, I just literally yesterday morning saw, it. I see this lady driving to, you know, coming towards me, I'm like, mm, passenger of a brand new driver, I guarantee you, and the, the, they went by, and I see the kid, just, he's as stiff and as panicked as, as the poor mom was, you know, and then you have those first starting, you know, the dates, you guys remember, how many of you remember, weren't those first dates awesome, Man, okay, maybe it was just Marie and I because we had we had some weird first dates. Um, I remember way back when we had one of our very first dates. We were in Manitoba, and and so Maria booked us a nice place in Winnipeg. uh, I don't even remember the restaurant, but we went there, and it's the dead of winter, you know. So Manitoba, it's freezing, freezing cold, and and we got in there, and we had, you know, you're trying to make a good impression. Remember those days, guys? (laughs) You know, we're trying to make a good impression still, and you know, and we're you know doing our best, and and you know having a great conversation, and then it came time to pay. Now I don't know what. went wrong whether we expected the other to pay or whether we just both decided to see if we could get out of there without paying I have no idea but we had no money literally no money and we had a debit card but for some reason the debit didn't work and and I didn't even use my brain it was minus 30 outside and I see Maria kind of looking like I don't know what to do and I'm like I'll find an ATM out the door no jacket on and just sprinted I had no idea where I was going I just knew I needed money, and surely somewhere in the city of Winnipeg, they must have money. But 30 minutes later, I came back, and I'm, like, my chest was burning. It was so cold, and I come back, and I look at Maria like, I thought you died. You know, like, She's like, where have you been? You know. And uh, so we finally you know, had cash I paid, and then we went outside, and we tried to get in the car, and the doors were literally frozen shut, and finally pried her door open, climbed. Oh, first impressions. Why that girl stayed with me, I don't know. I don't know. It must have been my looks, but, um, you know, whatever. You know, and then there's the first when you start date and um, when you start, you know, in your marriage. Some of you have been married so long, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we did this for the first time once, you know. Um, when you first start, you know, in your married life, man, there's so many awesome things. You learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about your spouse. Um, I've shared this story before, I'm sure, but it was on our wedding night, that I found out that I cannot sleep with someone touching me. There went all the dreams of, you know, cuddling and lying together and, oh, good night, I love you, you know, and bad breath in the morning and all that, but whatever, you know. And, you know, about two in the morning, I'm like, okay, move over, you know. By the third night, I'm like, move, you know, and she's crying because I'm like, and I'm like, baby, I haven't slept in 50 hours. I need, I need to sleep, you know, And, and new beginnings, New beginning. So we've kind of looked at some of the humorous stuff, but you see some of you are in a new beginning right now and you're not laughing about that one at all because you're in this new beginning where where maybe you're trying to kick an addiction. And you're in the very new beginnings of that. You just decided I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, This behavior, this lifestyle has got to come to an end. And so you're at that new beginning of saying, no, we're ending this. We're, I'm not doing this anymore. Maybe, maybe you're at the new beginning of ending a nasty relationship, whether it's with friends or whether it's in a romantic relationship or whatever it might be, but you're in that place right now and you're like, man, I gotta, we got to end this because this is not a healthy thing. You might be at a new start where you're choosing, you know, or, or, or you're in a new beginning, not by choice, but because someone made decisions on your behalf. Maybe, maybe you lost a job. Maybe you have an illness. Or maybe you have something you know, that's just completely beyond your control, and all of a sudden you went from having your life totally planned out to asking the question, well, what now? A new beginning. Maybe you're in a new relationship with Jesus. And you're at this new stage and you're trying to understand, what have I got myself into? What does this all mean for me? And you're excited. There's a sense of newness. There's a sense of, you know, God doing a work in you. But at the same time, you're in those first few months and first few weeks of of this relationship with Jesus and you're wrestling with what that all means for you. And so we are, you know, looking at these incredible, um, or we're looking at, you know, these moments in our lives when there's these new beginnings, and what I want to do today is I want to try to give us two quick, easy lessons to be and to keep in the back of our minds whenever we are at the beginning of something new. If you have your Bible with you, turn in your Bibles to to uh, the book of uh, Nehemiah. And if you don't know your Bible that well, there's an Old Testament, a New Testament. And Nehemiah is in the in the Old Testament. And here we have this amazing book about this guy who, who does something that most of us would never even consider doing. And I don't have time to do a long introduction to the book, but Nehemiah is written after the Babylonian exile, which means that many of the, of the Israelites have been taken out of Jerusalem and they're exiled into you know, Babylonia. And, and so now the city is in ruins. And Nehemiah is hearing about the condition of his city. He's hearing about the condition of Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3, he gives us a little description of what he's being told. He says, um, verse 3, he says, they said to me, he had asked them, what was the condition of the city? He says, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And so here's Nehemiah and he hears about his city. He hears about what's happened in that land. He's, he's hearing about the crazy things that are going on and he just sits down and he just begins to weep. And we may not understand that, but you've got to understand, for Nehemiah, this was his identity. This, this city was, was everything to them. This was the place that God had brought them through. This was the place where God dwelt. And here he is weeping now. And he begins to pray. And it is in this prayer that we don't see the first lesson very, very clearly, but you begin to see in his prayer very clearly that he has learned the first lesson. And the first lesson is this. You have to count the cost. When you're going to begin something new, you need to count the cost. What do I mean by that? Simple. Just stop and think. Just stop for a moment and process, what will this cost me? What's... Do I have the conviction to carry this through? What does this even mean for me? Is this the right thing to do? You know, what's this going to mean for the people around me? Now hear me very, very carefully. I am not talking about you talking yourself out of it. That's not what I'm saying. So by counting the costs, I don't want you to mis- make a list of all the reasons you shouldn't do it. I'm I'm talking about making a list of what does this all involve because here's the sad thing. We have too many people in life who begin something and then they end it. They bail on it. They never see it through. They don't they don't count the cost ahead of time, and so they never truly engage in it. And as soon as something difficult comes, as soon as something maybe a little out of the norm comes, they just bail. And what happens after a while, if that becomes your pattern in life, you will stop trying new things. There's nothing wrong with, with counting the cost ahead of time and recognizing this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. And we see Nehemiah. He did that. Verse five. Then I said, "This is his prayer, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keeps His command. Let your ear be attentive to your uh, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant in praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess." The sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Verse 8, remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even in if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there, and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants, he's talking here about the people of Israel, and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, speaking about himself, and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of of this man. Now, who is this man? Listen to what he says next. I am the cupbearer to the king. The man he's talking about is the king. He's counted the cost, and he's realized the only way I'm going to be able to do something is I have to make the boldest decision of my life, and I have to confront the king. Now, there's a lot more to the story, but we need to recognize something here, that being a cupbearer to the king puts you in a very you know, interesting predicament with that king. He, he could literally have you killed for no reason whatsoever. Your job as the cupbearer was to taste the, 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 the drink before you gave it to the king because if it's poison, you die and the king lives. That's, that's how easily you are disposed of. In other, in other words, the king expects you to die. That's your job is to die for the king. But to go before the king and not present yourself the way you should, you need to understand you were disposable. That's your whole job was so that, because you were disposable. In chapter 2, we see now that he is before the king, and he's counted the cost, and and this is what it says in Nehemiah 2, verse 2. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And then Nehemiah writes in there, I was very much afraid. He had every right to be afraid, but even in this fear that he had, verse 3, but I said to the king, Okay, this is where we know that he counted the cost. Because it says here, I was very much afraid. But then he says, but I said to the king, his fear did not keep him from doing what he knew he needed to do. We could argue and say this was a big but, because he's like, but I still went ahead. Why? Because fear is ripping through his body, but he has counted the cost. He understood what was at stake. He was determined to do what needed to be done. We aren't told what exactly all went on, but here we, we realize that as he was praying and as he was seeking God's direction, somewhere in the midst of this prayer, God in, uh, showed Nehemiah that he was to be part of the solution. He was supposed to be the one to do something about that wall. He was at the beginning of something totally new. Look at what he says, But I said to the king, May the king live forever. It's a good way to start. <laughs> May you live forever. Why should my face not look down sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? In other words, I got to go do something about where I live. Now, again, there's lots more here, and we're going to skip over it all. But Nehemiah finds tremendous favor from the king, and the king actually gives him two notes. One is for safe passage back to Jerusalem, and the other one is for all the timber he needs to build whatever he needs to build. Now, it's important to remember, new beginnings aren't just the ones that lead you towards something positive. New beginnings can also be devastating. And so, sometimes when we think of new beginnings, we just focus them on the sense of saying, man, I started a new thing, you know, and I'm so excited, and and we look at new beginnings as only a positive thing, but you need to realize today, new beginnings can also be extremely negative. That first drink, that first look, that first touch. The first time where maybe you're wrestling with your faith and you're saying, I'm kind of going to walk away from what I've been taught. I'm kind of going to start walking. It's a new step, it's a new beginning. So please know here today that when we're talking about counting the cost, we're not just talking about what you could accomplish, we're also talking about counting the cost and how devastating this decision could be for your life. So it's so important for us to count. The cost. The very direction of everything we do is sometimes completely messed up because we don't count the cost. We don't consider what's all involved. And as they begin building the wall, it doesn't take long for opposition to come. First, it comes in the form of ridicule, and then it becomes, and Then it comes in the form of outright threats. Not all new beginnings are going to stir. Uh, you know, cause a stir in your life, but some will. And this is why it's so important for us to recognize that it is so important for us to count the cost. By counting the cost, you are giving the decision that you are making the consideration that it deserves. By counting the cost, you are giving the decision that you are making the consideration that it deserves. When we do not count the cost, we minimize the value of the decision that we are making. Which leads us to the second lesson. So number one, count the cost. Number two, stay the course. Stay the course. Nehemiah 4.1 When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria he said what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore this wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah The Ammonite, who was by his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. Oh, the power of ridicule. Have you ever been in that place where you started something new and you thought everyone would kind of cheer you on? Maybe you thought everyone's going to pat you on the back and the first thing they do is ridicule you. The power of ridicule. I think this is the one thing that sometimes we don't take into account when we count the cost. We don't consider the fact that people may actually ridicule us. And then sometimes this is the very thing that causes you to end in discouragement. Criticism. You want to start a new business. You want to start a new position in your job. You want to do something different with your family, whatever it may be. And you share that with people. And you think they're going to be you know, fine with it. You've never thought about the fact that people may ridicule you for this new beginning that you want to make. And then the first thing someone says, oh, you think you can run that? Oh, you think you have that in you? And suddenly, just like that, ridicule brings you down to where you don't have any encouragement to continue. Nehemiah prays for the people, and he prays that those who are doing the insulting would have their insults turned against them. If you face ridicule or insults, listen carefully, you need to combat them. You cannot just dismiss ridicule and insults. You cannot just say, oh, you know, whatever. It's just words. People are just, you know, mean sometimes. We are tempted sometimes to pretend that words don't hurt us. We are tempted sometimes to pretend that if we let words hurt us, that, that that means that we're somehow weak. You need to understand, every single human being in this room and in this world is affected by the insults of other people. Do not... Ever allow yourself to feel that you are somehow weak if you struggle with dealing with insults? You will need to combat the insults and the ridicule in your life. You'll need to have a plan. You'll need to know that this is something that happens to everyone and you cannot just dismiss it. We are told that the people continued to build the wall, and when their enemies saw that their insults weren't doing anything anymore, they turned to outright threats. Now they were actually being physically threatened or that they could be killed. So look at what Nehemiah tells the people in verse 16 of chapter 4, verse 16. From that day on, half the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judea. They were building the walls. Those who carried material did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Verse 18 And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. See, sometimes you may actually have to fight. And I'm not talking here just physical fight. You may actually have to fight for the new beginning in your life. You may have to fight for the thing that you want to accomplish You may have to stand up for yourself. You may have to do the thing that needs to be done in order to stay the course. You can't expect that people are just going to constantly encourage you and bless you. There may be actual opposition to you. And at that moment, if you have counted the cost and you feel this is what God has called you to do, you're going to need to see that through, which may require you to put in far more energy and effort than you initially thought. You start a new job you want to lose weight, you want to have a family, all of these things will require you to put in effort. And we could go on and on and on. I know one of the things that can come as a huge surprise to everyone is when you first have your child. Oh my goodness, I know when we had Simon, it was like, oh, we want to be parents, it's going to be so fun. And everybody, you know, shows their great moments. And I'm looking over the room now, and there's a baby just sleeping away. Ah, parenting must be so easy. Now, your kid's sick at night, crying all the time. You're like, I've heard this. I didn't sign up for this. Oh, yes, you did. Your marriage. you see lovely married couples. Look at them sitting, okay? You guys are, you know, where's Al? He's teaching, sorry. Um, you know, you see all these lovely couples holding hands, you know? Oh my goodness, hold her hand, Johnny, come on, you know? And you know, and they're like in love, and you're newly married, and you're like, oh, to be married it takes work, it takes work. God has called you to something. Count the cost, and stay the course. Okay, dear Run Church, we're talking to us now. God has called us to something. God has called us to something. We're going to stay the course and the team can come up. We're going to stay the course. Why? Because we're counting the cost. Trust me, the obstacles that we will face in 2019 and 2020 and on are very, very different than the challenges that they faced in 1968. The things, the obstacles that we're going to have to maneuver around, the things that we're going to have to work around, we're going to need to count the cost. We're going to need to understand what that means. There are new laws. There are new restrictions. There are new all kinds of things in our lives. We understand that. We've counted the cost. We recognize that God has called Deer Run Church to this area to reach the people in this community. We will not give up and move course because God has called us to this. So stay the course whether that's in your personal life, in your spiritual life, or us as a church. I trust that through all of it, we will be obedient to what God has called us to. Let's stand and let's sing the closing song.